Are you tired of the last few crazy years and just want to escape away from the news headlines of the day before COVID, before 9-11, before Vietnam, all the way back into the 50s? If you are, it's time to use that God-given imagination of yours. You're an eight-year-old, sandy-haired boy or girl, depending on who's listening, wearing your fire engine red and yellow PJs, lying on your little bed, while big people are gathered around the RCA radio downstairs. You quietly, like a ghost, get out of your bed. You open the door with as little creaking as possible, and your little feet hit the carpet, leading to the stairs. You position yourself on the top step, and you wait for the program to begin. You're shivering with anticipation, as you have been listening to the WC Theater since you were six, which you're not supposed to do because of its adult content. Your parents also don't want you listening, especially to this series of programmings, because it gave you nightmares and you crawled into bed with them the last two episodes. Besides, this program is way past your bedtime. You, however, need to know what is going to happen because the last episode left you with a cliffhanger and you don't want to see those hollow eyes staring back at you anymore. You can hear the program begin with its credits to its usual sponsors, Sears, Montgomery Wards, and then a brief commercial from Chevy on their latest car. Then you hear those familiar introduction. Good evening, Anchorage, Alaska, the lower 48 and the rest of the world. This is Bruce Lindquist with his radio program, Wonderful Counselor. The title of this miniseries is A Preacher's Kid That Fought Like a Devil. And if you haven't listened to episode one, The Prayer, and the episodes after that, I encourage you to do so. But tonight's episode is number 10, and it's titled Blood for Blood. You lean your ear down the stairs, and you can hear these words cut through the brief silence. Night had just about suffocated the day as the light grasped for one more final breath. A lone figure, a shadow crept into view standing on a metal structure that its name mocked him for what it was called the half chance bridge he looked down at the water below and stared at its reflection it was like a time portal there he was on the banks of the chickasaw bug creek a little boy about seven named russ johnson with his best friend in the entire world wade hendershot they were like Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer and lived for adventures. He could still remember those memories like they were yesterday. Hey, Wade, found some crawdads under the rock. Remember, grab them behind the pinchers or you'll get pinched. Wade grabbed the crawdad and placed it in the buckets. Then they got a line, tied a slab of meat covered with peanut butter and tossed it out into the creek. They waited about an hour and Russ just happened to look to the bridge, and he saw what looked like a man with a rope around his neck falling, and now it was just hanging there above the water. Russ screamed. Wade looked at Russ. You look like you saw a ghost. Wade looked again. No one was there. Russ said, Didn't you see him? There was a man. He was on the bridge. He fell. There was a rope around his neck. Wade looked at Russ. I don't see him. You've been listening to too many of those scary radio programs again. The little boy on the stairs for a moment thought they were talking directly to him, as that is what his parents said last time 
so he snuck back to his bedroom just in case that was a signal somehow for his parents to check the stairs. He waited, not a sound, so he snuck back and sat on the stairs. He tried to catch up on what he missed. Russ and Wade had decided to check if someone jumped, so they floated a small boat under the bridge. They looked under the metal trusses, but didn't see any rope or body hanging there. Just a lot of cobwebs from an unseen night creature who weaved their death traps through for unexpected prey. See, there's nothing there, said Wade. Maybe it just maybe it just got too much heat. Let's go check to see how many crawdads we got. Russ, still looking up at the bridge, got the strange haunted feeling. He just couldn't shake it. It was a chill that swept his entire body. Well, maybe I've been listening to too many scary radio programs, but I swore I saw a body, and that man looked awfully familiar. Wade and Russ checked the line to find hundreds of crawdads munching away at their bait, and they put them all in the buckets. They would have a crawdad feast, and their parents would be more than happy to cook them in a homemade jambalaya. Their mouths were watering. Now, throughout their lives, their friendship grew. When Wade broke his leg playing backyard football, it was Russ who went to his parents to get him the doctor. When Russ needed that block in the championship high school football game, it was Wade who made it, and Russ ran into the end zone to win the game. Heck, they both lost their virginity to a local college girl when they were in high school. She was staying with their family, getting ready to leave for the big city, and she made all their boyhood fantasies come true in one night. Russ and Wade argued after that who was going to marry her, but the young woman explained she didn't want a relationship with either of them. She just wanted to romp in the hay and thank them for the good time and left. Wade looked at Russ. Have you ever? And Russ said, not in my wildest dreams. Wade and Russ would go to college together, and if not for injuries to their knees, they would have played college football. Both returned home with no scholarships and dreams shattered, but they did have their friendship. They got jobs in the community and found wives who were not made of window dressing, but actually loved them. They were best men at each other's weddings and godfathers with the kids when they were born. Wade and Lily were happy they had their daughter Sarah, Russ remembered holding Sarah when she was first born after getting the clear from the nurse. See, in those days, you couldn't be in the delivery room. So many wonderful memories. He loved Wade. He was closer than a brother to him. Russ's wife, Trudy, was best friends with Lily, and his daughter, Megan, and Sarah were like two little peas in a pot. Russ was smiling until the present came crashing into his skull like a freight train. Instead of seeing the reflection of past beautiful memories, all he could see was the body hanging from the tree with hollowed spaces in its face where he had taken Wade's eyes out with his knife. He just stared into those hollow spaces. Those same hollow eyes looked back at the chief when he woke up screaming. He sat up and put both feet on the floor and repeated, It's not a dream. It's not real. It's August 31st, 1958. My name is Jack Goodman. I'm the chief of police and I'm home safe. He then got up and threw cold water on his face. Come on, Jack, get a hold of yourself. It's just a dream. He looked at the clock, 5.30 a.m. on a Tuesday. He went into the kitchen, clicked on the coffee pot, sat by his makeshift table, rubbed his red eyes. He had heard trauma can get inside you, but it happened, happened before. 
Maybe he reached that threshold after all these years because those images were now living in his head. He looked at the mail and started reading anything to take his mind off those images. He then heard a knock on the door. He got out his Harriet's pistol stock's handgun, set it on the table, which he covered with yesterday's newspaper. The chief never locked his door. Come on in, Virgil, he said. It's open. So you were expecting me, said Virgil. Of course, said the chief. You're right on time. In fact, surprised you didn't get here earlier, given the gravity of the situation. You want some coffee? Just made a pot. Have a seat. Just toss your coat over there. So how's the family, Virgil? Well, you know kids these days, said Virgil. Yeah, I got problems with mine, too. How's the missus, Virgil? Well, the third wife and I aren't doing very well. Probably not long to be single again. Sorry to hear that. How about you, Jack? Well, when you're married to your job, you don't have time for much else. But I am faithful to my vows. Still court and justice, I see, said Virgil. The chief looked at him dead in the eyes. I'll always be court and justice. That gravity you're speaking about, you know that's why I'm here, said Virgil. Yep, said the chief. I know when the leader of the entire Ku Klux Klan shows up at your doorstep, it isn't about coffee and small talk. You need to drop the investigation. It's that simple. And you will have your retirement without regret, promised Virgil. Well, you see, Virgil, I can't do it this time. Your clan didn't just kill a black fella, which you know I've tried hundreds of times to get a conviction for. But in this time, they're just too scared of you and blinded by their own hate. No, this time you killed a white guy, one of your own. If you would have done it quietly, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. But what happened to Wade, your old leader, wasn't just retribution. It was pure evil. Something got a hold of that boy of yours. And I guess if you dance with the devil too long, you get possessed by what we call in these parts, dragon's fire. You don't have to lecture, Jack, said Virgil. I know all about dragon's fire. We lit our crosses and placed terror throughout the countryside. Well, you see, Virgil, there's so much evidence we got on your guy, dead to rights. Might as well paint it a sign I did it across the sky. He left so many fingerprints. It's one thing to kill a person but it's another thing to kill him like you're a serial killer. That has people in this town more scared than they are of you. Virgil smiled. Well, let's say he did get a little carried away. A little carried away? I see that body with the hollow eyes looking at me in my sleep. He butchered him, Virgil, skinned him alive, tore out his eye sockets when he was still breathing. That's not a little carried away. That's a body that cries out for justice, and I'm going to make sure justice is served, said the chief. Virgil paused. Well, I figured you'd say that, Jack. Remember that pretty little daughter of yours? It'd be unfortunate, quite unfortunate, if something was to happen to her. I know a lot of men who would love to crawl inside her, and I could arrange that. Do I have your attention? Jack looked at Virgil's smug face. It seems we're playing poker, Virgil. You know that daughter of yours? That one who strung out on drugs? Well, it seems the feds just arrested her for possession now. I can intervene on your behalf. You know a character witness, but if anything happens to my little girl, your daughter won't make it out of jail alive. I will see to that. Anything you do to my little girl will be a thousand times worse for yours. So I guess it's a standoff, said Virgil. No, said Jack. This time justice wins. Your empire is crashing around you. The feds are taking you down. I'm not bluffing, Virgil. I have a royal flush, so take your full house and get the hell out of my home. Virgil motioned for his gun, but Jack cocked his gun first. Don't even try it, Virgil. Virgil left the chief's house and called a meeting on the mountain, 
Everyone in the county was to be there. Russ and the other four men were celebrating, drinking to the success of what was sure to be a promotion for all of them. The wizard would no longer call them boys, they were men, and Russ was to be the new leader replacing that treacherous Wade Hendershot. News of the meeting spread fast. This would be the night of all nights. When Russ and the others arrived, there was an empty place where Wade used to stand, all ready for Russ and the ceremony. He was going to be the new leader until the grave. All the men came and gave their congratulations to Russ. The wizard said, I heard you sent a message to the world to not ever leave the clan. Yep, the loudest message I could possibly send, said Russ. The wizard spoke again. I suppose you're now expecting to step into the new leadership role. Are you ready for the ceremony? And Russ shared he's been waiting for it all his life. Russ was honored that night as well as the other men and given Wade's old robe he left on the church altar. The clans had all hailed Russ as their new leader. The wizard said to all of the men, You have sworn your allegiance to the clan and to me with your very lives, and all said Amen. Your will carry out my orders without hesitation, and all said Amen. Then hear me, join hands in a tight circle around your wizard and these five men. And, and they did just that. The wizard then flipped the script. These men before you have placed our lives in danger. Russ said, hey, what do you mean? We did exactly what you said for us to do. No one's more loyal to the clan than the five of us. The wizard looked at Russ and the other four men who were with him. It is one thing to carry out your mission. It's another to do it in such a way that the entire federal government is now over our heads. The town folks are afraid there's a serial killer in our midst. Whatever advantage we had in this county is gone. And in the end, your betrayal is worse than Wade's. What the hell were you thinking? The only solution is the witnesses of the crime are not to be left alive. I can't have any witnesses, said the wizard. Wade watched in silence as his four friends were butchered by the clan in a frenzy of white robes and blood. The wizard said to Russ, I can't let you, li you live either. Your fingerprints are all over the place. You are now a liability I can't afford. Russ looked at the men and their knives drawn. Then he looked at the old wizard. Russ ceased to look human. Then he spoke. Why did I torture and kill Wade like that? I can't explain it to you. It's something you have to experience, and with that words, Dragon's Fire possessed Russ's soul, in what looked like a shark's frenzy as he gutted all of the men, except the wizard, and left them as a heap of dead bodies covered with white sheets and hoods. The wizard looked at Russ. His hate almost matched his own. Well done, said the wizard. No witnesses. As the wizard walked away, he spoke something in Latin. The Dragon's Fire left Russ and he was surrounded by all the dead bodies. He then drove down to the local liquor store, picked up a fifth of JD, and drove out to the bridge. All came flooding back to him now. He was possessed with dragon's fire when he killed Wade. He didn't intend to torture him, but once that knife started its motion, it was like something took over his soul. He couldn't stop until he had cut off his penis, getting him alive, and took out both his eyes with his knife. Riss started shaking. At dragon's fire. His mind went back to just that night. He and the boys were leading Wade over to the tree. He had his rope in his hand and Wade seemed strangely at peace about the whole thing. It was unnerving for Russ how peaceful dead men walking can be. He threw the rope around the tree and measured Wade's body so when he hung his feet wouldn't touch the ground. 
He tied the rope and put the noose around Wade's neck. One of the men brought Wade's chair in from the house and had Wade stand on it. Any last words, Wade, said Russ. Wade said, this doesn't take away what we had. Growing up, I will take those memories with us to heaven. Russ said, are you trying to get me to go all soft on you now? Because it's not going to work. Wade said, no. I just want you to know we'll always be friends, at least as kids. And it's not too late for you, Russ. His blood for our blood, and I forgive you. Russ started to tear up a bit and was getting ready to say goodbye to Wade, but what happened next made the tears in his eyes boil over. Wade said as he looked to heaven, I see Jesus and he's welcoming me with open arms, and I'm not afraid of what man can do to me. Oh, and look, there are children and adults of all tribes and nations. There he's holding that little black boy I killed so long ago. And look, there's that little black girl you killed. Russ said he sent that little colored girl to hell where she belonged along with her daddy. She can't be in heaven. Images of the car accident and the drunk black man in his car. Russ holding his dying daughter and wife. He was so filled with rage, he beat the injured black man to death and couldn't control the dragon's fire until he crushed the little black girl's skull. Four people died that day. Blood for blood. Russ would not ever be the same. That is when he and Wade met the wizard and joined the clan. They were forged and bond in dragon's fire. Something happened to Russ when he stared at Wade. It was like he was back in that accident, and Wade was now the object of his fury. Dragon's fire possessed and ignited such hatred all he could see was red. He attacked Wade with the same fury he beat the black man with earlier. Wade felt that initial pain and tears in his skin as the knife shredded his body, but then his whole body went numb. He could see Russ skinning him alive from the top part of his body. He felt the air between his legs when his penis and testes were removed. He felt the pressure in his head when the knife stuck both of his eyes and they were popped out of socket. When his tongue was cut out, he felt the space in his mouth, but it was like he was there, but he wasn't there. And then his spirit just left. He didn't feel the chair kicked out from under him. The rope clenched his throat until he had no oxygen supply left. Russ had carved up Wade's body like a Christmas turkey, and the four men didn't dare move. Russ said with his hands covered with blood, Now I dare anyone to leave the clan. Russ took another long gulp from the bottle. How could he have done that to his best friend? He saved his life once, so he would end his? He didn't deserve to die that way. And now I'm a murderer. I killed all these men and I can't get this blood off my hands. Even the alcohol doesn't remove it. He took another big swig. No, he couldn't forgive Russ or himself. You're a monster. How can you massacre people like that? What were you thinking? He tied the rope to the rail of the bridge and watched it fall to the water until he had it at the right length to do its job. He then placed and cinched the noose around his neck. He took another swig. He remembered being a small boy in church, hearing about how Jesus died for his sins. He didn't believe it then, and he doesn't believe it now. Noah's tortured soul only had one conclusion, to end it. That was what the voices were saying in his head. Then he leaned a little further, and with each drink. He then heard another voice, and it was Wade's. I forgive you. It's not too late, Russ. Heaven's door is still open. You just need to walk right through it. Russ sat up, stood up, and put his hands on the noose to loosen it. And then death stepped out of the shadows. Lights flashed, and a man pushed Russ off the bridge. 
As he fell, his last thought before gravity caught up with him and snapped his neck was that little boy with his best friend Wade looking up at the bridge and realizing he was the man who he saw hung. The shadowy figure looked off the bridge down at the creek where Russ's body hung just above the water and smiled. He started to laugh, but it was interrupted by a voice behind him. You just couldn't leave it alone, could you, Virgil? He may have gone through with it and hung himself, but you couldn't take any chances. You had to make sure there were no witnesses. Virgil looked back over his shoulder and caught the glimpse of a man smoking a cigarette. Virgil replied, Well, Jack, you know what they say. If you want to do something right, you got to do it yourself. Yeah, Virgil said, Jack, that's why I'm here. How did you know I'd be here, said Virgil. I just got this feeling. Maybe that God I prayed to for just one conviction to see some justice on the earth granted my plea. Virgil said, now you're not getting religious on me, are you, Jack? Well, said Jack, since you seem to be from the devil, God was looking for someone to bring you down. You have no proof, said Virgil, your word against mine. I could just say I tried to save his life and he fell. Yep. Virgil, you're good at bending the truth. So a liar like you can walk through it. But you see, I have evidence. Not just my testimony, but did you happen to notice the flashings of light? That there's a movie camera. And although the pictures ain't great, it clearly shows you push Rush off the bridge. And that, Virgil, is murder. That is a conviction, and you're going to jail for a long time. Virgil, at first time in his life, was caught off guard. He didn't see the shiny cuffs until they were clasped on his wrist. It took a while, but the trial happened, and Virgil was found guilty. As he entered the jailhouse, his reputation preceded him. A group of black men stared at him and said, Well, looky what we have here. I'll be damned, said one of them. It's justice. The little boy on the stairs had to pee so bad he ran into the bathroom just in time before his parents came up the carpeted steps. Are you still up? his dad asked. Yeah. Well, go to bed, sleepyhead, and pleasant dreams. The little boy crawled into bed through the covers over his head, fell asleep with images looking up at Russ, his body hanging on the rope, and that shadowy Virgil. He tightened the grip on his pillow and then was going to sneak back into his parents' bedroom again, but then went to sleep. And with his last thought, justice was done. In the previous episode, you were asked, what is your unforgivable sin? In this episode, you come face to face with the consequences of unforgiveness. Wade and Russ lived similar lives. Both committed many sins. Both embraced dragon's fire of hate. Both found a peddler who taught them religiously how to hate. Both could be convicted if faced trial today and locked away for a lifetime. Yet there was one difference. Wade repented and surrendered his life to Christ and escaped the dragon's fire. And Russ was consumed by dragon's fire, even at the end of his life. There were a lot of reasons to hate, whether that is someone because of the color of their skin or they think differently than you do. The possibilities are endless. For the short time, hate does seem to have its reward. However, the price you pay in the long run is hate will destroy your life and those around you. We live in a world in 2023 where hate seems to be everywhere. A mere disagreement leads to wordshed and bloodshed. My prayer is that you will let Christ save you from yourself and the dragon's fire that burns so deep within you. You do not, you do not hold unforgiveness. It holds you. 
And Jesus came to set us free. He gave his blood for blood.